purpose when it's connected to what God's purpose is, okay? And so the first week we said this, that, that we are blessed by God, that God wants to bless the whole world, okay? God wants to bless the whole world, and his strategy to do that is to create a community that has been blessed to be a blessing, okay? That's what we talked about the first week. And the next week, we talked about how we are individually called to be a part of God's mission, and God's mission is to see more and more people come to know him, to enjoy life with him. And so we're actually called to be missionaries, and this doesn't mean that we're all called to go to another country, but the word missionary just means somebody that is sent, somebody that is sent by God to be a blessing to other people. That's really what it is. And so that's what we talked about the second week. And then last week, we talked about that that's kind of a scary thing. That's something that is a little bit intimidating or a lot intimidating. And yet, God doesn't just say, okay, go do this, figure it out, have fun. But he says, I actually will be with you, that I fill you with my Holy Spirit and I go with you. And so Jesus makes this promise where he tells his disciples, he says, go into all the world and tell everybody about me and create communities of people that, that are formed by me. And I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. And I'll send my Holy Spirit to be with you, to empower you. Okay, so that's what we talked about last week. And we're kind of going from the big, broad, being a community of blessing, to being missionaries, to being filled with God's spirit to accomplish what he's called us to do. And then today we talk about actually talking about that message, okay? Actually talking about that message with other people. And so here, here's, um, here's how we'll just once again set up this question. What is our purpose? And we've answered this in different ways, but it's really the same, but we've answered it in different ways. It's to be a community of blessing, it's to make disciples, it's to be missionaries, to be sent as God was, sends us. Okay, those are some of the ways we've answered it, but here's, here's another way that, that Paul talks about it. It's all very similar, but here's something that Paul says, and he uses the language of ambassador, okay? So let me read this, and we'll focus in on this text for kind of a good chunk of our time together tonight. So here's what he says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Talking about Jesus here. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, meaning just kind of as a, just as a kind of a throwaway. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Now, now listen to what he says. What's our purpose? All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So God brings us to himself. God takes away the barriers between us and him. That's reconciliation, right? Just as it is in human relationships, two people coming together. God reconciles us to himself and then gives us the ministry of reconciliation. That, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so what is our purpose? Here's what Paul says. Again, same thing we've been talking about, but just to reiterate and using different language, and this is all throughout the Bible, kind of talked about in different ways. Here's what Paul says. What God has done in you, he wants to do through you. So God has reconciled you, meaning this is what the Bible teaches, okay? There's distance between us and God. There's distance between us and God. And, and some people feel that distance. Okay, I was talking to somebody this week who feels a distance between themselves and God. That feels like God could never forgive me. I've done too many things. God would never love me. God's given me too many chances and I've blown them all. So some people feel that distance. Other people don't feel that distance. They're just kind of living their life. But if there is a God and God is over here and we just are living our life over here, then there is a distance. So some people feel it. Some people don't feel it. But what the Bible says is that Jesus has come to reconcile us, to bring us back to God. That's hard, right? I mean, if you have any human relationships that need reconciling, that's hard. But Jesus has come and he's done that. He's come and reconciled us back to God. But then it doesn't stop there. He reconciles us and then gives us the ministry of reconciliation. 
which means that he entrusts to us the message. This message that I just said to you, that God wants to reconcile people back to him. That God's not okay with there being a distance, but he wants to bring us to himself. He wants to bring the world back to himself. So God reconciles us and then gives us the ministry of reconciliation. This is, this is the theme throughout the Bible. What God does in you, he wants to do through you. So if you feel loved by God, God wants you to love people. If you feel God's been patient with you, he wants you to be patient with people. If you feel God has been kind to you, he wants you to be kind to people. If you feel God has blessed you, he wants to, you to be a blessing to people. And this is what it says. He has reconciled us, and then he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. And then to be more specific, he says, entrusting to us this message. So we have a message that we've been given, a message of reconciliation. Because nobody can be reconciled if they don't know the message. It's good news. That's what the Bible calls the gospel. Gospel means good news. That God wants there to be reconciliation. And so he entrusts it to us. And look, look at this line. God making his appeal through us. That's what we've talked about saying that God wants to bless the world and we're his strategy to do that. Or God wants more and more people to know him and we're his strategy to do that. That God doesn't work in magic most of the time. He can. But that God makes his appeal through us. So God is appealing to people. Come know me. Come find life with me. Come be blessed by me. Come be forgiven by me. Come be reconciled. But he makes that appeal through us. Most people don't, I mean, God doesn't just speak loud voices from heaven. He makes that appeal through the message that he's entrusted to us. Okay, so this is what our purpose is. Our purpose is to be, Paul uses this word, ambassadors. Now, I've never met an ambassador. If you know one, I'd like to meet them. So just as a public service announcement or whatever that is. I guess that's more of a, a request. So as a request, if you know an ambassador, I'd like to meet them. Because I would just like to talk with them. I've always been interested. But here's what an ambassador does from Wikipedia. That I mean, just you know, learning about it. They go to another country and they represent that country, right? They go to another country and they represent it. And they're there for... So if, if you're an American ambassador and you go to... You go to Germany, you're there to represent American interests. You're not there just to drink good German beer and eat a bunch of sausages, right? Because that's all Germans do, at least as far as I know. I've never been to Germany, okay? So if you're German, you can tell me. Um, but they, you go there to represent America's interests. You go there to be a representative of America. Now, Paul says this. Your life, if you're a Christian, and I know some of you aren't Christians, and that's great. We're glad that you're here. If you're a Christian, you're an ambassador for Jesus. You're an ambassador that is called to represent God. So you go into another, you're, you're in another country, and you're here to represent God. You're here to bring God's message. You're here to show what God is like. You're here to bless because God's heart is to bless. You're here to be kind because God's heart is to be kind. That's what, you're, that's what you are. You're an ambassador for Christ, bringing his message in his way to all the people. So that's, that's our calling. What, that's our purpose. That our li I mean, if you, if you meet an ambassador, their purpose is to be an ambassador. It's a 24-7 job. They don't clock in and clock out as an ambassador. They're always an ambassador. And when God reconciles us to himself, he then gives us the ministry of reconciliation. What God wants to do in you, he wants to do through you. Now, that's really cool. I mean, to me, that's a, I mean, an ambassador, if you think about it. I've never met one. Why? I've met a lot of waiters, I've met a lot of engineers, I've never met an ambassador, because that's a really important person, and they wouldn't probably want to talk with me. So isn't that cool that God says, you're my ambassador? I mean, that's a very, that's a title of honor. That says God, I mean, that's kind of weird too, by the way, that you get to be an ambassador for God. I mean, the U.S. wouldn't ask you to be their ambassador, but God would. That's kind of weird, right? I mean, God's standards seem kind of low if he would ask us to be ambassadors. <laughs> but that's because he's a God of grace. And that's part of how he represents himself is saying, look, I give grace to people. And see, this person, they're someone that's received my grace. So that's a high honor that we get to be ambassadors for God, which means we represent him. We, we are entrusted with this message. And then we go out and we help people know Jesus. Okay, so this is what our purpose is. And yet... That's difficult, right? And I imagine if you've ever, I mean, one, one day when I talk to an ambassador, they'll tell me their job is really difficult. Because I imagine 
that it would be for a, a, you know, a U.S. ambassador. But for, as a Christian, it's hard, right, to be an ambassador. If you have lived your life saying, okay, I'm entrusted with the message of reconciliation, so I'm supposed to bring this message to other people. Don't you find that difficult? I mean, if you're a Christian, one of the things that we are called to do, that we're supposed to live our whole lives as ambassadors, and it's actually a message that we appeal to others, God wants you to be reconciled to him. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you shared that message? I mean, it's difficult, right? Living your life as an ambassador, being entrusted with a message, and yet sometimes we just kind of go, okay, this is a nice message. I'll put it in my pocket. Like the UPS driver that has a full truck and never delivers his packages. Wait a minute, you were entrusted. You're entrusted with that message. Oh, yeah, but I'm just kind of storing it up in my truck, driving around. I mean, I would be mad. My Amazon books wouldn't be coming. So we are entrusted with this message, but it's difficult. But here's what I want to talk about. The gospel, the good news, this very message itself, helps us to overcome the difficulty. So there's some things that make it difficult. And probably in your mind right now, if you think about, man, what, what makes it difficult for you? What makes it, God has said, I entrust you this message. What is difficult about sharing that message? Just think, even maybe the last time you had an opportunity, why was it difficult? But the gospel, the, the very message itself, actually helps us in the difficulty. And I want to just point out a few ways that it does that. So here's my thesis. Again, what God does in you, he wants to do through you. So here's what we're going to talk about the remaining time that we have in the next three hours. We're going to talk about these two things. We're going to talk about, I'm just joking. We're going to, it's only two hours. Okay, so we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about, um, if I tried to do that, the burgers would just be cooking anyway, and slowly, slowly people would just go outside, so, or quickly. So the gospel helps us overcome the difficulty. We have to remember what he's done in us. That's what we're going to talk about first. And then how we do what he wants to do through us, okay? So what has he done in us? Because I'm saying, man, what God has done in you, he wants to do through you. And the way that the gospel helps us overcome the difficulty of sharing the message he's entrusted to us is remembering over and over again, here's what he's done in us. So, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to the text that we looked at, but I'm going to highlight four different ways that it helps us, okay? So here's the first. And I'm not going to read everything, because I already read it. I'm just going to read the, the parts that are highlighted here. But if you have your Bible, you can open it up. 2 Corinthians 5, okay? For the love of Christ controls us. And then he goes on to talk about making this appeal. And then he says, Christ reconciled us. Look at the, the personal nature of this. Christ reconciled us to himself. And for our sake, he did these things. So here's what Paul says. One of the difficulties that we have in sharing the message that has been entrusted to us, one of the difficulties we have is this. We do it out of guilt. We go, okay, well, I guess I'm supposed to share this message. I guess God calls me to be an ambassador, so I guess I'll go be an ambassador. God wants me to help people be reconciled to him, so I guess I'll go tell people about it. And we operate out of guilt. But what does Paul say? What's controlling him? It's not guilt. He says the love of Christ controls us. And then he goes down here and says, see how personal this language is? He reconciled us to himself, and he did this for our sake. See, what's happened to Paul is very personal, and he operates out of love. The love of Christ controls him. See, if you operate out of guilt, I'm supposed to do this, or just even duties, okay, I heard a sermon about it, I'm going to go do it, I'm God's strategy, here we go. You'll do it maybe for a little while, and then feel tired, and feel burnt out, feel like, ah, uh, whatever. But Paul has this motive of the love of Christ is controlling him. Because here's the truth. We always share what we love, right? You always share what you love. If I go on your Instagram account, I will know what you love. It'll be food for some of you, right? Take pictures of food. It'll be your pet. Oh, my little poochie smooshie, right? It'll be your, um, I don't have a pet, so... It'll, but I know that that's what you call them, okay? It'll, it'll be um, your kids. Like, no parent ever went to a class 
No parent ever went to a class that taught them you're supposed to share 100 pictures of your kids on Facebook every week. No one taught them that. They just love their kids, and so they want to do that. They, you share what you love, right? I mean, you share what you love. You go on my Instagram account, there's probably 15 pictures in three years because I never use it, but you'll see at least a little bit of what I love. I think there's a picture of some fried food, and there's a picture of some mountains, okay? So you, and, and I think there's a picture of my wife, I hope. <laughs> if not, there will be tonight, okay? So you see what you love. You see what you love. You all, we always share what we love. No one has to coach you or train you or cajole you or push you to share what you love. You just do it, right? And Paul says, the love of Christ controls me, and so I share. So, I mean, we just have to be honest that if, if you're a Christian and you know that you're an ambassador for Christ, and yet one of the difficulties is, why do I not share this message? It goes back to love. And so here's what I want you to do. Man, if, if you're a Christian, what did Jesus save you from? Like some of you became a Christian, you know, at some point that you really remember what life was like before. Now, what did he save you from? Don't you see how good he is that he would save you from that? Or maybe, maybe you're like me, okay? I, I grew up in the church my whole life and became a Christian at an early age. So I don't remember God saved me from this and now I'm, I don't remember that. But I know, but I can think like this, man, where would I be without Jesus? Because I know without Jesus, I'd be a lot more selfish. I'd be a lot more of a jerk. I'd be a lot more impatient. And I can see, man, Jesus, man, he's done, he's loved me so much. He's worked in my life so much. And see, if you forget that, if, 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 who you are, if who you would be without Jesus or who you were without Jesus goes away from your mind, then it's not, the love of Christ isn't controlling you because you're not filled with this, oh man, he's good. You just forget and then you're told, hey, share about him. Okay, I guess I will. But when an experience of something awesome is in front of you, you want to share about it. Whether it's food or coffee or a movie or your kids. And so, When's the last time you thought about, where would I be without Jesus? Who would I be without Jesus? I, I mean, I can promise you, I wouldn't want to know the person that I would be without Jesus. And so I can thank him, and I can remember how much he's loved me, and then the love of Christ controls me to want to tell other people how good he is. Because I believe if he's been good to me, he'll be good to them. So that's the first one. The first thing that helps us to overcome the difficulty, one of the big difficulties is we just operate out of guilt, and instead we need to operate out of joy, and the way that that happens is we reflect on how good Jesus has been to us. Okay, the second thing is this. Paul says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. So listen to this. If you're a Christian, how did you become a Christian? All this is from God. So here's, here's what the Bible says. Here's what Paul says. We have trespassed. Now that's a weird word that we don't usually use, but think about a sign that says no trespassing. So it means you've gone somewhere that you don't belong right? And that's what the Bible teaches that we've all done, every single one of us, that we have gone places that we don't belong in our hearts and in our actions. And what happens if you cross into a sign that says no trespassing? There's a guy waiting there with a shotgun. It says no trespassing, right? And that's not how God talks. God's not a redneck, okay? But that's what someone talks like when you trespass through the barbed wire thing, right? Whatever, okay? So Here's what Paul says. God doesn't do that. So we have all trespassed, found ourselves on the other side of the barbed wire, and God put the shotgun down. He says, not counting their trespasses against them. So we have all gone places in our hearts that we don't belong. We've all done things that we, that's not where we belong. And God, instead of saying, doesn't count our trespasses against us. 
And so how did we get saved? Well, we were trespassers, so it's not because we were good. All this is from God, which means he was gracious and he saved us out of, see, if you're a Christian, you are not a Christian because you were smarter, because you just paid more attention, because you were more passionate or more committed, or you just, you're a more open-minded person that listened to the Bible. If you are a Christian, you're a Christian because God saved you. So here's what this does, because one of the things that makes it difficult in sharing the message that's what we're talking about. What, how does the gospel help us to share the message? Because there's difficulty in it. One of the things that makes it difficult is this, our attitude. So there's a desire problem, and to fix the desire problem, we have to remember, man, God's been good to me, and the love of Christ controls me. But there's also an attitude problem. That might mean, man, you've got all the desire in the world, and you go share with people all the time, but it doesn't go well. And if you're not a Christian here today, you've probably had this happen to you. So somebody was like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And you said, oh, crap. Why? When, when the gospel means good news, if I said, let me tell you about how I want to give you $1,000, and you didn't think I was just some car salesman, you would go, okay, sweet, I want to know how I get $1,000. But when people say, let me tell you about Jesus, we go, that sounds horrible. And yet it's called good news. Why? Because a lot of times the attitude. Because here's sometimes the attitude that comes across. Let me tell you, here's the translation. Let me tell you about how I'm right and you're wrong. Want to have a conversation? No. That doesn't, no one wants to have that conversation. Or hey, let me win, an, can, I, can I get in a conversation with you where I want to win an argument? That doesn't sound like fun. Or can I, let me tell you how I'm better than you. Would you give me 20 minutes to talk about how I'm better than you? No. But see, if our attitude is, I'm a Christian because I figured it out, or I'm a Christian because I'm a good... So I've had people say to me before something like this, I could never be a Christian because I'm just not good like that. Now, I know that's not everyone's objection or everyone's problem, but I've had people say that. But see, that, that's an understanding that says Christians are the good people. But see, if, if you're not a Christian, or if you remember what it was like not to be a Christian... One of the things you really didn't like about Christians was they were self-righteous. And they wanted to always tell you about how they were better than you. But what does this say? This says, you're a Christian. All this is from God. What does that produce? It produces humility. See, one of the difficulties we have in sharing the message is not necessarily desire, but it's the way it comes across. Because really all we're trying to do is win an argument with somebody. We don't really love them. We're just trying to help them be good people. But what this says is, you're a Christian because of grace. Which means this. There are people, so I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, I've got a microphone. There are people that are much more moral than I am. They're probably better husbands, better sons, better friends, and they're not Christians. Being Christian doesn't mean you're the most moral person. It means you're somebody that was saved, that you have a bunch of trespasses and God didn't click the shotgun and pull the trigger. It means that you said, I need someone to save me. Not, I'm really awesome and I'm going to join the awesome team. That's a lot different. But see, that produces humility. Now, I'm not saying that we should all be immoral people. That's not the point. But the point is, that's not what gets you in. God says, I'm bringing you into my family. All this is from God. He doesn't count our trespasses against us. He's willing to forgive. He's willing to have grace, which should produce humility, which means when I'm talking to somebody else, I can be really respectful and courteous and gentle and patient. I'm not trying to just win them. I'm not trying to force something down their throat. I'm just, man, I... I believe Jesus is a good Savior, and I want you to know a good Savior. I'm not any better than you are. You're not any better than I am, or maybe you are. But I know Jesus, and he's really good. We're not pointing to ourselves and how great the quality of our lives is. We're pointing to him. That creates humility. Third thing that helps us with the difficulty is this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old has passed away, the new has come. And down below, 
For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I think this is the biggest one, okay? If you've been a Christian for a while, and you know, man, God has entrusted me a message to share with other people about him. And yet, I find it difficult to do that. Why? Probably fear. Right? Fear of a lot of things. Maybe one of the fears is looking stupid. So I want to share, but what if I sound, what if I don't know what to say? What if I sound dumb? What if I, I mean, just fear of looking stupid, right? Or fear of what are other people going to think of me? So if I start to talk to someone about Jesus and they go, you're one of those crazy Christian wackos, I'm afraid of what they'll think of me. Or if I start to talk about Jesus and they go, uh, oh, don't really want to hang out with you anymore. So fear of acceptance. All sorts of fear, right? Fear of basically what will other people think of me? What will other people do with me? Now here's how the gospel helps us with this. And this is hard, okay, because I think this is so ingrained into us. And so, I, I mean, I, I could preach a whole sermon on just on this, but I, but I just want you to, just giving you an appetizer, okay? Here's what it says. If you are a Christian, you're a new creation, which means you're a new person now. And then he says this. For our sake, he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin. And then we become the righteousness of God. Here, here's what this is saying. On the cross, Jesus takes all of our sin. Whether you think you have any or not. All the thoughts, motives, actions, things you should do, don't do. Living your life distant from God. Living your life maybe as a really, really, really good person and yet not, not loving God, takes all of our sin on himself and pays for it on the cross. But that's not it. He also then gives us his righteousness. So you see, it says we become the righteousness of God. So here's what this means. When God looks at you, he said, I mean, this, you don't believe this, okay, because I don't believe it either, but just let's just talk about it anyway. When God looks at you, he says, you're righteous. So here's how the Bible talks about this. You know Jesus? You've heard of him, right? So he did miracles. He loved people perfectly. He forgave people. I mean, everybody loves Jesus. Even if you're not a Christian, people are like, man, Jesus is awesome, right? He's my homeboy. Everybody loves him. When God looks at you, he looks at you as if you were Jesus. So imagine if you could have lived Jesus' life and that was your resume. How would you feel? Pretty good, right? Like, man, I'm perfect. That feels good. When God looks at you, he sees you as the righteousness of God. He sees you as Jesus. So Jesus takes all of our sin and gives us all of his righteousness. Now, if we believe that, what that means is we have a whole new sense of worth and value. So I hate self-esteem. And once the blogs catch up, they'll hate it too because, I mean, actually, psychological research has shown that self-esteem is bad for you. Because, and you know this, because if you've ever gotten into self-esteem and you wake up and tell yourself, I am awesome, I can do it, and then it doesn't last, and then you feel like crap, right? Because it doesn't work. Everybody knows that. But we try it anyway, like, no, I am good, I am great. And then you feel like crap. You feel like, here's what self-esteem does. It actually makes you feel worse because you're pumping yourself up and then you feel bad that you should feel good and you don't. But wait, I just told myself how awesome I was and I read seven awesome inspirational quotes and yet I still feel like crap. So then you feel even worse than you would have felt if you hadn't done that. Okay. But what's the alternative? Basing your identity on what other people think of you? Because that's, that's how we got self-esteem is because people told you, stop listening to what other people think of you. It doesn't matter what other people say. Six and stones will break your bones and words will never hurt you. No one must have spoken to that person, invented that. So you either base your identity on you telling yourself how awesome you are 
or other people telling you how awesome you are. But none of that works, right? So what's the alternative? We need someone to tell us that we're okay. We need someone to do that. We need someone to do that. And what, what we have here is that in Jesus, when God sees you, he says, you are loved. That's so much better than looking in the mirror and telling yourself, you are loved. It's just so silly. But God says, you are loved. You are cherished. You are the righteousness of Christ. Now, listen. I said you don't believe that, and I don't believe that, because it's so hard. Okay? But if we live out of that truth, it changes everything. Here, here's the thing. Take, go, don't do this. <laughs> Never mind. I won't even say that. If you have kids, they listen to anything you say. You can grab a little kid and tell them you're invisible, and they'll believe they're invisible. You can tell a little kid, you're invisible, and they'll start, they'll, oh my gosh, I'm freaking invisible. They'll do it. Why? Well, I mean, there's all sorts of reasons. But one of the reasons is because they trust you, because you're bigger than them, smarter than them, stronger than them. So listen, God, who's bigger, smarter, stronger, more trustworthy is not trying to trick you but as a good father he's looking at you and saying you're loved i died for you when i look at you you don't have to prove your worth to me you don't have to earn it i've already given it to you now what do you think that does to other people's opinions of worrying what they'll think of you it eliminates fear i mean if you lived under that okay and i'm not saying this is easy but if you live under that umbrella of God has said, I have all the worth and value, I could, I mean, I'm as, I'm as worthy and valuable as Jesus. You've got no fear at that point. It doesn't matter what other people think of you. It doesn't matter what other people's opinions are. You have God speaking into your life, telling you who you are. It's a new identity. You're a new creation. So listen, if you're not a Christian, man, this is part of why I love the good news. Because this is offered to you, and it's so much more powerful than anything else out there. Who cares what you say about yourself or what your coworker says about you? If God, the creator of the universe, says, I love you and you're mine, man, that makes you bulletproof if you believe that. Okay? And fourth, I already used this one, but I'm using it again. All this is from God not counting their trespasses against them. And then he says this. So since all of this is from God, and since God doesn't count people's trespasses against them, therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. So here's what he's saying. Man, nobody is a lost cause. See, part of what makes it difficult to share the message that we've been entrusted with is we kind of look around and go, well, that person, I don't, man, they're too far gone. That person, oh man, they talk about how much they hate Christians. They're too far gone. That and what are we doing? We're thinking about human power. And we're thinking that we were a likely candidate. Well, of course God would save me, you know, I'm a likely candidate, but them, that's ah, a stretch. No way. This says all of it's from God, which means do you think God can save someone? Do you think God can change someone's heart? Do you think God can show someone how good he is? If God can do that, then that means nobody is a lost cause. Or, I guess maybe more accurately, it means everyone's a lost cause, including us. And yet if it's from God, he can do anything. So this is what, here's how that changes. It gives you hope. It gives you hope. And it gives you boldness. Because you're not just thinking, well, okay, is this person going to receive this? It gives you a boldness. I'm not, I didn't say rudeness. I said it gives you a boldness to have hope for anyone and everyone knowing that God loves anyone and everyone and wants to save anyone and everyone. And if you believe that, if you believe that, so if you're a Christian and you believe nobody's a lost cause because God can do anything, I mean, how does that change the people in your life that you think about? And I was talking to someone this week that is as lost cause as a lost cause gets. But I know they're not a lost cause because I know God can do it. I can't do it. Somebody begging for Jesus is a lost cause with me, but God can do anything. 
God can do it. So it gives me hope. So this is, this is to remind, I said, what God does in us, he wants to do through us. This is what God has done in us if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, this is what God wants to do in you. Now, how do we actually do this? This is what we'll go through quickly. Give you, is this working? There we go. How do we practically share the message? We've been entrusted with a message that God wants us to share. How do we actually share it practically? Let me give you four quick things, relatively quick, okay? Here's what Peter says. This is one of the classic texts on this. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, so let me just pause. All the yellow I'm highlighting, and I'll just give you, I'll give it away now. It's about your life, okay? How you live your life. I, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. So there's things to stop doing which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct, your actions, your life, among the Gentiles, that's just people that don't know Jesus, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. So they, they might criticize you and say bad things about you, but then they go, wait a minute, you actually live a life that is good. And then he, he's specific, he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors is sent by him to punish those who do evil, praise those who do good. So he says, obey the law, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And then a little bit later, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Here's what I want to say. How do we practically share the message? The first thing is this. It's your life. You live a life that is so good in the sense of you're loving people and serving people that it actually demands an explanation. That's what this is. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. So, what about you demands an explanation? Anything? Do people ever say to you, why do you do that? Or why do you do this? Or What Peter is saying here is we should live such good lives that people wonder why. Now that makes it easy to talk about Jesus, right? But is that what's happening? We're supposed to, our lives are supposed to, and, and we're supposed to love people and serve people, not as a project, not as a trick, but because they're human beings and we really love them. We're supposed to love people and serve people that it should make people go, why are, why are you so good? And then, well, actually, I'll tell you why, because God has been so good to me. That's step one in our life. This is, I mean, this is one of the complaints that people that aren't Christians have about Christians. Don't tell me about Jesus if you're a jerk. But man, if we are living such, so here's what Peter's saying. You should live a crazy, good, loving life. That it demands an explanation. That should be the criteria or the, the, the um, you know, the gauge. Not are you doing good things or bad things, but are you living such a good and serving and loving life that people actually go, I don't understand. I don't get it. You, some, are, you on, are, are you on drugs or why are you so loving? People should wonder and ask. That's step one. And how do we actually share the message? Peter says, live such good lives that even though people say God is stupid and I don't like Jesus and all you Christians are bigots and freaks, even though they say that, they go, but why are you so good and kind and gracious and forgiving? I don't understand that. That's step one. How do we practically go about sharing the message that Jesus has entrusted to us? Peter says this, man, live such a good life, love people so well that they're shocked. Number two, here's another text. Continue, here's what Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it 
with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, that's the gospel, the message, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Okay, I'll stop there because we'll read the rest of it in a second. But here's what he says, pray. So if we're saying, man, I want, I want God to do something that only God can do, then that means we pray. So we say, God, I mean, Paul, Paul, who's awesome, right? He wrote most of the New Testament. He says, pray for me. I don't know. I, I, need, I need prayer in order to talk about Jesus. So we pray. Now, here's what you pray for. You pray for yourself. God, help me to be humble. God, help me not to be a jerk. God, help me to be loving. God, help me to love people like you love them. You pray for yourself. You pray for the other person. And you pray for, Paul says, open doors. Now, this is important because I think sometimes if you're a Christian, you probably know people that don't know Jesus and you want them to because you love them and you care for them. And you have experienced God do good things in your life and you want other people to experience that. But sometimes what we do, and I've been guilty of this, is we pray, God, will you, will you save that person? But that's praying for magic. Instead of praying what Paul prayed, which is, give me an open door. Give me an opportunity to talk to them. See, that's a lot different, right? If you know somebody that's not a Christian and you just pray, God, would you save them? God, would you help them to know you? That's fine. Paul says is, don't pray for magic, pray for opportunities. Because why? Because we're God's strategy. God makes his appeal through us. So we pray like Paul, God, would you open, a, would you give me an opportunity? And here's what I promise you. If you pray that God gives you opportunities to talk to other people about Jesus, you will have it. That's a prayer God loves to answer. If you pray, God, would you give me an opportunity to talk to this person about you? and you pray that regularly, God's going to answer that prayer. And then you have to take it, though, right? Because that opportunity is going to come before you, and then you go, oh, wait, never mind, God, would you, would you save that person? But you prayed for an opportunity. You prayed for an open door. Here it is. God's going to give you open doors, but you've got to walk through them. And I hate to say that because that sounds so cliche, but it's true. If you pray for open doors, God will go and open them, but you've got to actually walk through them. Don't pray for magic. Are you praying for people that don't know Jesus? And are you praying that he would give you an opportunity to talk with them? Because if you do, he'll answer that prayer. So we pray for people. Third thing is this. Down below, he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech Always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now listen to this. Here's what this means. It means we have to listen. How are you going to know how to answer each person? You've got to listen. And a lot of times when we think about talking about Jesus, we think about talking about Jesus. Instead of, how can I listen to somebody? Who are they? This is why it's always best done in relationships. Instead of just knocking on a door and saying, can I talk to you about Jesus? Maybe go knock on a door and say, hey, can I ask you about your life? That'd be a lot different, right? I mean, that'd still be creepy. Don't do that. But, but just in relationships that you have, I mean, it starts with just going, man, I want to get to know people and just know about their life. One of the things I always like to say is instead of sharing your faith, ask other people to share their faith. Which means this, you say, hey, what do you believe? What do you believe? Or someone, you know, when I meet people and I say I'm a pastor and they go, oh. And then I say, oh, what about you? What kind of background do you have? Any I mean, I just, you just get to know people. Ask them. Listen. There's no way you can answer each person unless you know them. Because here's the alternative. You share some sort of canned pitch. Let me tell you the four things you need to know. Number one, you're going to hell. Number two, you don't want to go to hell. Number three, Jesus will take you away from hell. And you, we wonder why that wasn't successful, you know. But 
if you just listen to people and understand their stories and what they're going through in their life and where do they need the good news of Jesus? And I remember talking to somebody that was really, really anxious and feeling, they believe in God, not really Jesus, but feeling really anxious and felt like, man, I, I know I'm supposed to surrender all of this to God and that's really scary. And I said, well, yeah, of course that's scary. Why would you surrender to God? That sounds like a really scary thing. Well, I don't know. I'm just supposed to surrender to God. Well, but is that difficult? Yeah, it's really difficult. I don't feel like I can do it. And, and so just talking about their anxiety and surrender. And then I was able, then asked me, well, how do you do it? Okay, well, I mean, I, I trust I can surrender to God because God surrendered to me in Jesus. He already gave up his life for me so I can trust him. See, that's sharing the gospel with somebody, not in just some canned pitch, but just as I'm just talking to somebody and getting to know them and understanding what they believe and why they believe it. So we got to listen. And then fourth is we speak. But see where this comes in the list? This is last. So how do you actually share the message of Jesus? First, you love people really, really well. Then you pray for people. Then you listen to people. And then you speak. Then you speak. This is, I mean, this is true with any relationship. Speaking should come last. We speak about Jesus. And this is what he says, that you declare the mystery of Christ, that it's clear, and our speech is supposed to be gracious and seasoned with salt. And here's, let me say this, if you're a Christian, your good life won't save anybody. Sometimes, I don't know where this came from, but some Christians got this idea that, well, I'm just trying to be a witness. Meaning, I'm going to live a really good life, I'm not going to cuss, drink, chew, or go with girls that do, and everyone's going to come to know Jesus. No, they're just going to go, you seem like a moral, upstanding citizen. And if they know that you're a Christian, all they're going to think is that being a Christian means being a moral, upstanding citizen, and they don't think they could ever do that, so they could never be a Christian. So sometimes being a witness is actually much more damaging. Maybe you've heard, preach the gospel, use words when necessary. Preach the gospel often, use words when necessary. That doesn't make any sense. Because gospel means good news. Preach good news. So, what, I mean, what would that mean if the newspaper did that? Tell the news, use words when necessary. Or send emails, use words when necessary. I mean, it's news, it's content. Nobody will know Jesus just by looking at your good life. They'll know what moralism is. And by the way, the guy that supposedly said that quote founded a preaching order. So, he's known for starting a big preaching club. So, I mean, I, I get the point. The point is, man, live a good life. Yes. But it's words. We actually have to speak words about Jesus or people will not know him. So how do we speak words about Jesus? Well, here's, here's the easiest way. Be honest. If someone says, what did you do this weekend? Say you went hiking and say you went to church. When I'm at a coffee shop or something and people say, hey, so what are you doing? I'm working on a sermon. I mean, just be honest. You'll be amazed at how many opportunities come your way to talk about Jesus if you're just honest about who you are and why you do things. Just, I'm, there's a lot of things we could talk about how to speak about Jesus, but I just want to give you one really easy, practical thing. Tell the truth. Just tell the truth. And then, when we talk about Jesus, we talk about Jesus. Meaning, we don't talk about, hey, you should be a good person like I'm a good person. Or, hey, you should believe in God like I believe in God. We tell people about Jesus. We tell people how awesome Jesus is. How, how Jesus died for them. How Jesus wants to reconcile them. How Jesus is good. How he's gracious. How We talk about Jesus. Okay, so... love people, we pray, we listen, and we speak honestly about Jesus. What would happen if we did that? I mean, what do you think would happen? Do you know people that don't know Jesus? That's step one if you don't, but do you know people that don't know Jesus? And has God been good to you? 
do you want him to be good to other people for them to know that? Paul says the love of Christ controls us. And when we take communion, that's what we remember. We remember that God reconciled us to himself, that his body was broken and his blood was shed. That way he would bring us to know him, to find life with him. And then he says, I give you this message to share with other people. God, look, if you're not a Christian, God loves you. And he has come to this earth to die to bring you into relationship with him. He lived for you. He died for you. He rose from the dead to bring you into life with him. And if you're a Christian, God's done all that in you, and he wants to do that through you. And so as you take communion, remember those things. And then this is what we're going to do. We're going to sing songs. And we sing to more and more proclaim that truth, to thank God for what he's done, to sing it to one another, to sing it to him. If you're not a Christian, just think about the words. It's just more sermons, but with music to it. It's just proclaiming more of the truth that we believe. So let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you are good and that you have reconciled us to yourself. God, thank you that you give us a a purpose, that you call us to be ambassadors. God, I thank you for that, that, that we are not left to find our own purpose, but you've given us one. God, you um, are gracious and patient. I'm just thinking again about Paul's words that say, all this is from God. God, you've done it. You've come to this earth to bring us to yourself. You didn't hold our trespasses against us. You loved us. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that's a Christian that we would that we would share the message that you have entrusted us with. That we would not sit on it, but that we would be moved by what you've done in us. And that we would be looking for opportunities to love people and serve people and pray for people speak to people and listen to people. God, will you stir in our hearts a passion for you first and foremost? Help us to remember how good you are. And then God, I pray for everyone in this room and all the relationships that are represented in this room of people that that we know that you would use us, that you would give us opportunities to speak your good news to people. Pray this in your name, Jesus.